Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets, and this is Sorta Awesome. Welcome to the show that is all about uncovering the awesome in the everyday. Each week, my co-hosts and I give our favorite tips, share our best stories, and confide our true confessions as we invite you to join us in the pursuit of awesome. Well, I'm joined today by everyone's favorite Hollywood housewife and the host of the Smartest Person in the Room podcast, my co-host and dear friend, Laura Tremaine. And today... We are revisiting a topic that Laura and I covered back in September of 2015 when we released episode 26 of Sorta Awesome, The Truth About Anxiety. Now in that episode, we both shared our personal histories of and struggles with anxiety. We talked about how anxiety manifested in our lives and how we found relief from it. We have had so many follow-up questions in the year and a half since we recorded that episode that we decided it was time to sit down and talk frankly once again about mental health. Now, not only are Laura and I going to be talking about anxiety again, we've also asked Dr. Margaret Rutherford to come back to the show. And later in this episode, she's going to share with us about depression and how that can manifest in our lives in surprising ways. So, Let's start the show the way we always do, Laura, but first, is it okay to acknowledge that episode 26 was not only about anxiety, it also had one of our most talked about awesomes of the week of all time when you introduced us all to face shaving <laughs> for women. I know. It's basically one of the best and worst things I've ever said on this show. <laughs> And I actually chose that awesome of the week moments before we recorded. And I was like, I'm going to talk about shaving my face. And then I did. <laughs> yep. And then I got a lot of reaction to that. Yeah. So when I was picking my awesome of the week for this episode, there's just absolutely no way I can top that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, safe to say. <laughs> Literally no way. And I was also going to try and pick sort of a lighter, fluffier awesome of the week to, you know, balance what is going to be a bit of a heavier topic today. And then guess what happened? I did absolutely none of those things. <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. Whatever is awesome in your life is what we want to know about. So what, do you, what did you land on for this Well, week? this is awesome in that I'm learning a lot from it. It is not awesome in that it's a hard topic in itself. But my absolute awesome of the week for right now is a recent episode of the podcast On Being with Krista Tippett. Mm -hmm. On Being is one of my very favorite podcasts. It's one of the very first ones I started listening to. I always get something out of it. I'm just a big, big fan. I've talked about it on the show before, but I love On Being. It is a show that is a lot about spirituality and growth and faith and all its many different forms in culture and in the world. I just love the show. I adore Krista Tippett. The episode I want to talk about is an interview with Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. Oh, right. Yes. A lot of people have been talking about this episode. Oh, it is so good. Sheryl Sandberg, of course, is the chief operating officer of Facebook. She runs one of the largest companies in America. Adam Grant is a psychologist from 
the Wharton School, and they are longtime friends. They've both written books in the past several years that I've read and really enjoyed. Sheryl Sandberg wrote Lean In, which is Mm -hmm. aimed towards women, mostly in the workforce, but really I applied it to so much of my life as a woman. Adam Grant wrote a book called Originals that I just read a few months ago and liked it so much I ended up sending it to a few friends as a gift just because I felt like they could really benefit from some of the work in this book about sort of creatives and leadership. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's really good. Anyway, the two of them are friends and had been friends for a long time and even somewhat writing partners when two years ago, Sheryl Sandberg's husband passed away unexpectedly at the age of 47 from a heart condition that was undiagnosed. And following that terrible tragedy in Sheryl Sandberg's life, her friendship with Adam Grant, who provided to her a bunch of research about resilience and post-traumatic growth, which was a phrase I hadn't heard before. Yeah. He started sort of helping her to deal with this thing as a parent, as a executive, as a human. Anyway, they talk about it on this episode with Krista Tippett on On Being because they just put out a book called Option B that is sort of about all of this resilience and research and the human condition, if you will, following such tragedy. And they're really trying to emphasize to people to work on pre-traumatic growth. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. So post-traumatic growth seems like an obvious thing, the things that you learn and grow from after something terrible, but that we can, all of us, maybe prepare ourselves since everybody's going to endure a tragedy, right? Yes. So it's sort of a heavier episode, but it is so good and really an important listen for anyone in their community because they talk not only about their individual experience, but they also talk about how to help your friends and neighbors and loved ones when they're going through something. Mm, That is something that we talk about so much in our community. What can I do in light of this tragic thing that's happened? There's just so many layers to the episode. I love On Being and it is knocking it out of the park, especially right now. It really is. It's fantastic always. But yeah, this one's a big one. This one is a big one that I think anybody could get a lot out of. But there's also been a really good one with Richard Rohr recently. And then I just saw that she had Glenn Beck on, which was quite a surprise. That's really a deviation from Krista Tippett's Uh normal type of guest. I have not pressed play on that yet, so I'm not recommending it. But I just think that she is having really interesting conversations Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so if you are looking for thoughtful content that maybe puts our crazy world right now into some context, but without making you feel insane, I highly recommend On Being, but definitely start with that Sheryl Sandberg, Adam Grant episode with Krista Tippett. So good. Okay. Oh my goodness. That just gave me chills just thinking about it. Just Yeah, there's so many interesting conversations to be had right now, and On Being is such a reliable source for that. Well, um, I did go completely fluffy this week on my Awesome of the Week. Well, thank goodness. (laughs) One of us followed directions. (laughs) These are two things that are legit awesome in my life right now, but they are completely like on the more well, I don't know, shallow end of things. So I want to talk about two makeup products that I am loving right now. And especially because they are perfect timing for 
spring and summer makeup wear. So you and I, Laura, we have a text thread with two of our other closest friends from high school. We talk about all kinds of things, including sometimes making recommendations for each other. So one of our other friends from high school, Jamie, she and I have been obsessed with lipstick since high school, and we have always had similar taste in lipstick colors and all the things, lipstick. So I take her lipstick recommendations super seriously. So she texted us a few weeks ago that she was loving the MAC lip color full fuchsia. And literally that day I ordered it and I love it. Oh, I love MAC lipsticks. I really love MAC lipsticks. So great. She did not steer me wrong on this at all. So MAC has a lipstick line called Amplified Cream, and that is what this full fuchsia is. It's from their Amplified Cream line. So it goes on so soft, so smooth, which side note, you guys, I've tried liquid lipstick thing that goes on, you know, liquidy, and then it dries into a matte, and my lips cannot do it. They hate the liquid lipstick. They reject it completely. So because it's just really drying. And I know that you can do certain things to sort of like moisturize and prep your lips for that matte look. It's not for me. I just had to accept that it's not for me. So it's so nice to get back to a nice, creamy, smooth lipstick. And the color is so bright. It's perfect for spring and summer, I think. It just kind of cheers up your whole face. I have to tell you, I've gotten a ton of compliments wearing this out and about. Is that what you have on right now? It is. Yes. It looks really good. Thank you. Thank you. I might put a picture on social media so people can experience the fuchsia. (laughs) What's it called? Fuchsia? It's full fuchsia. Oh, it it is full fuchsia. (laughs) The other one I just got in an Ipsy bag, the Ipsy bag for May. So if you are unfamiliar with Ipsy, it's one of those subscription services that you can get and they send you sample sizes of various kinds of makeup and hair care products. So in this particular bag, I got a new mascara from It Cosmetics. It's their superhero mascara. Now, Laura, I have to tell you, I am a longtime fan of L'Oreal Voluminous, as you are. In fact, you trained me in the good and righteous ways of L'Oreal mascara. I've worn it for years, but I'm always looking for a new mascara because I have a very big problem with mascara smear under my eyes. (gasps) I do too. Okay, I thought it was maybe just me. Maybe there's something about my eyes. You know, my eyes are pretty squinty. I thought maybe because my lashes are, they're, I don't know. They just, I, I don't know what happens, but I have a lot of Wait, mascara smeary problems. We have to talk about this. Have you always had the smeary problem? Because mine is new in the last, I don't know, maybe five years. And I'm like, are my cheeks getting puffier? <laughs> What's happening? I- I don't know. I feel like I have always had this problem, which is why I'm always on the lookout for the next great mascara. But I don't know. Now I'm now I'm paranoid. Are my cheeks here? <laughs> They've always been a little round. So hmm. okay. So go on. Hmm. So this one is from It. I you know I've heard mm-hmm. a lot of people are really raving about It cosmetics and their different things, but I haven't tried them yet. I had not tried anything from It cosmetics either, but they put this in the Ipsy bag this month and I was like, I'll try anything. So I'm loving it because it goes on really nice and full and no clumps, which that's a big deal. But most importantly, and I've been wearing it for probably a week now, no under eye smears so far, knock on wood. So I'm really liking it. Now I read a lot of reviews on it after I got the Ipsy bag because I was just kind of checking out what I had gotten. Now 
a lot of people in the reviews are saying, I don't have to wear my falsies anymore because this is so full, makes your lashes look so great, so stand out. I've never worn falsies in my life, so I can't speak to that. But apparently other fans of that, of the false eyelashes are saying that this is a good Mm, this is really good information to have. I'm glad you did that one. It is. And, you know, going into spring and summer when we're all a little bit sweatier, a little bit more glisteny, you want something that's going to stay on your lashes and not smear everywhere. So, so that's it. Superhero mascara and MAC full fuchsia lipstick. I'll put that information in the show notes for you guys. If you are prepping your makeup bag for spring and summer. So, all right. Well, like Laura said, today's topic is a little bit heavier here on Sorta Awesome. Sometimes we're silly. Sometimes we do things that are a little bit more thoughtful with a little bit more serious application for everyday life. So I know that both you and I, Laura, we've had a kind of a sense of responsibility in sitting down and revisiting this topic because we want to make it very super 100% clear that Laura and I are not clinical professionals or medical professionals in any sense of the word. We're doing good to sit down behind a mic and record this episode, basically. So nothing that we say today should be considered in any way to be medical advice. We want to share our stories, our experiences, maybe help illuminate what the struggle with mental health issues looks like in, in our lives. And it might inspire conversations in your own life, but we're not professionals. So we, but we do feel a sense of responsibility as we talk about this. We, we asked our awesome community if there are specific things that they might like to hear a follow-up on back from episode 26, when we first talked about anxiety, some of the things that came up were people wanting to know a little bit more about what anxiety symptoms look like and how to know when to take the first steps towards treatment, what those steps might look like, what some of those options might be. Uh, We had people ask about anxiety in children specifically, and then how you could support a partner or a friend who is struggling with anxiety. Like I said, later in this episode, Dr. Margaret, who I just love, she has been on Sort of Awesome before speaking about grief. She's back today to talk about a condition that she calls perfectly hidden depression. It's a fantastic information. I can't wait to share that with you. But first, Laura, let's kind of go back to the beginning. We, we already told the bulk of our anxiety stories back in episode 26. But just as a brief reminder, kind of give us a rundown of how anxiety has manifested in your life. So my anxiety started when I was very little before I have any memory of it. Almost when I was a toddler, my mom says, I was just kind of a quiet child and internalized a lot of my anxiety. So it kind of came out in different behaviors, really repetitive behaviors, especially. I pulled my hair out at the root. I would pull bald spots into my head. This goes on until now, well into my 30s. I will still do this if I don't pay attention to my behaviors. I would bounce a ball quite a bit, like for hours at a time. Just it was very soothing to me. I had a lot of what we would now call sensory issues. It was not referred to as that in the 80s. (laughs) But now I can look back and see I had a lot of sensory issues with mostly what I ate. I had texture problems. I couldn't mix a lot of textures. I didn't like new textures or unusual textures. And then also with my clothes, I didn't like tight clothing, that kind of thing. So I have been that way since my whole life. So as long as I could remember, as I got a little bit older, some more things started to come out. I started to get migraines when I was in elementary school, middle, middle to late elementary school. I got my first migraines. And then as I became a teenager, I suffered my first panic attacks. 
So it's been something that I've sort of navigated my whole life. I have coping mechanisms. I live a very full and happy life. I say that because I recently got into a conversation with a friend whose child has severe anxiety. Right. And they were legitimately stressed that they felt like their child wasn't going to have a good life, like was not going to learn how to like be in this world. And while I can appreciate that kind of concern, and obviously there's a spectrum of how much one has little or, or a lot of anxiety, but I had pretty severe anxiety, I would say, as a child, and I have a wonderful life. So like this, this is a thing that you can work with and work around. And so there's a lot of hope in these conversations. I know sometimes we talk about like some of the really harder parts of them, and that's important. It's important to talk about like sometimes the worst of this, but there's also like, this is a thing that we can work with and you do not have to be miserable. You just don't have to be hopeless in any way. I have had times in my life where it goes in and out. Having little children was almost some of the worst times of my life in terms of my anxiety. It hit all of my triggers, which we'll talk about in a bit. But here I am, mid to late 30s, <laughs> and doing fine. And I really like to talk about it with people, other women particularly, because I feel like sometimes women stuff it down and won't talk about it, or they just take it on as part of being a woman or part of being a mom or part of living in the information age or whatever. They give any excuse they possibly can to not actually deal with it. Mm -hmm, right. So I love talking to women and friends about anxiety and how they can live a better life even within it. Definitely, definitely. I, I love that you um, can provide that perspective because you even talked about this a little in, in our episode 26, that dealing with anxiety was just a normal for you. I mean, that was just so, that was sort of baseline. And um, to see how you have um, found different ways of, of coping and treatment all of that to where, yeah, like you said, you have a full and happy life. Um, so my story is a little bit different in that I did not have any kind of legitimate anxiety. I was kind of prone to, you know, stressing out and worrying about things as a kid and as a teenager, certainly, but um, not anything that I would classify as true anxiety. I didn't even have that in the early years of motherhood. It wasn't until um, the twins were born and it was during their birth, which on paper would not have seemed like that traumatic of an event, but just in my being, it was a very traumatic moment. And it seemed to have triggered that their birth and then the days and weeks following seemed to have triggered anxiety. And I found myself coping with it for the first time. And I did not know what was going on um, because I had never really felt anything in my body because my anxiety for me is a very physical manifestation. Um, my chief symptom is that it feels like I feel like my throat is um, too tight to even swallow. I feel like it, I'm, oh, it feels like a strangling feeling. Um, and when it first started happening, I had no idea what was going on. And it took talking to some friends and um, some other resources to kind of figure out that this was what was happening, that I was experiencing anxiety. I also started having panic attacks when the twins were uh, babies. And, and that has not been a reality in the past. I would say even in the past two years since we, or year and a half since we recorded that episode, I've, the panic attacks have been far, far less. I feel like I've kind of, um, that has not been the, the main manifestation, but the sort of free floating anxiety that I struggle with 
is definitely something that I'm still kind of working on managing. So we just wanted to give you that little bit of background to let you know that you can come at this from all different angles. It could be something that has been normal to you your whole life, or it can be something that is triggered by an event later in adulthood. Um, so Laura, I know that a lot of people would really like to know, hearing others talk about, how do you know when it, this is just like, I get stressed out really easily? How do you know when it's anxiety? And if you do start to think, okay, I think there's something bigger than feeling stress going on, what does it look like to even start to find treatment for it? Okay, so the difference between stress and anxiety as I see it, again, I do not know like clinically how this would be defined, but I also experience stress as everyone does. <laughs> And it feels different in my body than anxiety does. So stress and worry, this is another distinction I want to make. If you do not experience anxiety and you're hearing someone else talk about it, perhaps a loved one, worry and anxiety are not the same thing. Right. We often use those words sort of interchangeably, but they're not the same. They're not the same thing. So stress and worry, which is normal, is usually based in something real. So you are stressed about getting everything done before you leave for vacation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you are worried about your spouse's medical test that he's just taken like those are real things to be stressed and worried about obviously they can also both manifest physically where you can be very stressed and it'll affect your appetite or your sleep or whatever anxiety sometimes is we've within that, like if there is a real thing to be worried about, but it is often irrational. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. So there is no real reason for you to feel very panicky, to feel a deep sense of dread. So I lived a long time feeling deep dread, like I was going to die, like, like at any moment lightning was going to strike, like I was just waiting for the terrible phone call any bad thing. I just walked around with a lot of deep dread. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's not normal. Right. That's not at all normal. Also, if you have a really irrational, if your worry tips into being irrational. So like I live in Southern California. If you are truly freaking out that there's going to be an earthquake at any time, that's not normal. Now we can all be vaguely aware that there's a threat of that and maybe prepare your home for it. And maybe that worry pops up every now and again. But for you to really tip into 24 hours latching on to this quote unquote worry, that is not normal worry. That is something else that is tipped into something that is not rational and reasonable. Exactly. Yeah. Another thing that I notice about anxiety that may be people need to notice if, if it's new to them is that it's really often cyclical. Mm -hmm. So anxiety might be hormone related. So then it's cyclical within the month. It might be seasonal related. If you live in a place with seasons, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a real thing. Also depression can be seasonal. Mm -hmm. um, or if you notice for me, the cycle is, I'm actually very good in a stressful situation. I can stay very calm. I can be very productive. I can think straight with a lot of clarity and I can execute whatever needs to be done in an acute stressful situation. And then like three days later, 
I will be a disaster. Yes. Yes. I relate to that so much. Now that might be part of a normal stress cycle Mm -hmm. of just stress cycle, but it will linger on and to me tip into anxiety because it won't close the cycle. Um, You and I have talked about how a stress cycle needs to be sort of closed. Mm -hmm. You need to work all the way through it and whatever. I can't get all the way through it when anxiety kicks in. And then I live like a week feeling like jittery and jumpy, dreadful, like that sort of thing. So if you're trying to distinguish between if what you have is normal mom, adult worry versus anxiety symptoms, those are some of the like easiest ways I could describe the differences. I think that's so, that describes it really powerfully. I relate so much to the being able to sort of just like get it out through a really stressful moment. And then it's like, yeah, that all of that buildup in your body just kind of hits and it's a complete anxiety flare up. I have experienced that often. And it's kind of frustrating because you're like, but I got through the hard thing. Like, why can my brain not understand that? But I really do think there was just so much pent up for people like us who kind of almost like feed on the stress to get through whatever the thing is, whether it's, you know, a work event or a travel or something like that. And you just kind of like use the stress and the adrenaline to keep going through it. That all has to leave your body somehow. And if you, like you said, it can, if you cannot complete the stress cycle, then that can just whoosh over you. And, and it's, you know, a huge anxiety flare up. Um, another thing that I was going to say too, to go back to what you said about the rational versus irrational thing, I touched on this in um, our first talk about this, but one of the biggest manifestations of irrational anxiety for me when I was in the thick of really dealing with it was I was convinced that someone is going to kidnap my daughters, one or both of them. And okay, so again, we're parents and all parents kind of are like, oh gosh, I want to keep my kids safe. You know, let's have best practices in terms of out and about in public, whatever. So that's, like you said, kind of like living in Southern California and thinking about earthquakes, like it's a thing that we're aware of. It's on our radar. I was deeply, painfully obsessed and convinced with the the idea that they were going to be um, kidnapped. I would, when, if I would walk up to pick them up from school or from an activity and I didn't see them immediately, I had a moment of sheer terror and panic in that moment thinking, this is it. It happened. They're not here. And of course, like 10 seconds later, here comes their class out or whatever. It was, it was irrational. I had no logical reason to think that they were going to be kidnapped. My, my brain was like in panic mode all the time thinking about it. Well, you're just like waiting for it to happen almost. Yes. Waiting, just sure it's going to happen. And then the, the strange thing too about anxiety is sometimes I'll have these anxiety sort of like shadows. Like that, I don't worry about that anymore at all. It's com- I, that thing has completely passed. But sometimes when I do walk up to pick them up and I can't see them right away, there's like this shadow in my memory that's like, oh my gosh, what if it happened this time? But it's like, just like a little um, glimpse of how panicked I felt. I don't feel panic, but it's like my brain wants to go back to that place. Does mm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. It like It's like, I remember this, almost like PTSD. I don't want to use that term too lightly, but just like a little bit of that. There's some part of my brain that remembers we used to freak out about this. So There's another thing between worry and anxiety. Anxiety for me is often repetitive. 
Okay. It's a repetitive, not just the behavior, which I've described my behaviors become very repetitive, but also my therapist has taught me and pointed out to me that I have looping thoughts. My thoughts loop okay. in the same pattern and they'll do it over and over. So this is what will happen. I will be thinking about a thing that happened. Like maybe I had, let's just make up a scenario. I had a weird run in with a fellow parent at school. I will loop that weird run in in my head. Then I will come home. Then I will tell my husband about it. Then I will get on Voxer and I will tell you about it. And I will use almost the same phrasing, almost the same bullet point by point with you. Then I will get on the phone with my sister and I will do the same thing. I'm almost repeating phrases. Then I'm doing it in my head. I'm making the same points, the same arguments. I'm upset about it in the exact same ways, but over and over and over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a looping thought. Like I am looping. It's almost like you press play and Laura will give you the same spiel. Right. Yes. And I will do it in my head, even if I'm not doing it to others. I'm going through the same. And then let's say I come to a conclusion on it. Right. And then I will start over. Yeah. So things can be looping. That's another thing. If you're like, well, am I like worried? Because I did have this awkward exchange with a fellow parent. Okay. Well, that's like a real thing that you might actually think about, of course. If you are looping something, anything, if you are looping a worry or looping a thought train, not, not normal. Right. Right. Okay. That is a perfect lead in to talk about how can we know when it is time to seek treatment, to get help in some way. Um, Where do we, how do we know if we've crossed the line between this is a normal thing that brains do and this is not normal? Well, I think the obvious thing there is if it's affecting your life in a tangible way, if it's affecting your family. Yes. Yes. If you are changing your behaviors because of it, Absolutely. If you've become so fearful of driving on the freeway, for example, and it is really affecting your life Mm -hmm. because you have to work your whole day around not getting on the freeway, these are things that you need to seek help for. That's sort of an extreme example. It doesn't have to be that bad. But if you are changing your behavior and your family's behavior... Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. to work around your irrational feelings. I don't mean irrational like that I don't feel for you. Right. I just mean like based in reason. Right. You know? Yes. You are changing your own behavior and anyone around you's behavior, or if it's just affecting your day, if it's keeping you from being your healthiest self because it's affecting your sleep, your appetite, how you feel in your body, how you interact with others, relational. To me... I feel like if it's affecting anything, internal or external, then you should think about getting some help. I feel like people are really scared of the getting some help. Yes, definitely. It's still very stigmatized in our culture. Absolutely. Very stigmatized. They feel like then they're going to be on pills for life or be made fun of for seeing a therapist or I don't even know what. Or they'll look weak. Maybe they're afraid that they'll look weak because they weren't able to Mm -hmm. just pull it together Mm -hmm. when they should be able to pull it together. Or they talk themselves into how big a deal it is or not. Like, oh, this isn't that big a deal that I never get on the freeway. It's fine. Well, but too, I think another part of not wanting to get help is 
because it does feel and you you like there's a logical part of your brain that's like this is not rational it's embarrassing maybe to go talk to a doctor or a, a therapist and be like i'm terrified my children are going to get kidnapped and i'm on the verge of panic all the time about this i have no reason to believe that's going to happen but i am on the verge of terror at all times that's embarrassing to say out loud and you don't know how it's going to be received especially if you have tried to approach a friend or a loved one or whatever or a parent maybe in childhood with some kind of um situation and you weren't believed and you were maybe shamed or whatever it can be a big stumbling block to saying okay this is affecting my life i don't want to live like this but i'm also i'm i don't even know where to start with how, how to fix it mm. i also think we if this has been going on for a long period of time and i think that a lot of women have been living with anxiety for long periods of time that they just think it's normal. Um, and so they talk themselves out of it being a treatable thing or that they don't even have to live this way right. because they think, well, of course all parents are terrified their kids are going to get kidnapped. Mm -hmm. And then if they were to say to their friend, aren't you scared your kids are going to get kidnapped? Well, you might joke about it and the friend might be like, yeah, that's kind of a scary thing. And not really realizing that what you're saying is, no, no, I really... I'm terrified of it all mm -hmm. the time. I think about it every day. Right. Yes. Yeah. Type of thing. People have lived with it for so long that they just think, well, it's not that big a deal. All moms are scared. Right. Yes. Yes. Right. Again, all fr the freeway is scary or, you know, whatever your thing is, you know, you can talk yourself out of it. It's a big thing that I think we should be doing more is talking to our girlfriends or our sisters our spouses, whatever, and saying like, maybe saying how you feel and see if it's reflected back to you as normal or not. Right. Yeah. Because we do not always know. Right. Yes, very much. Because again, a lot of these struggles can feel like such a battle in your brain and you do, you lose a sense of what baseline normal would be about a, a particular situation or whatever. And just saying out loud, I mean, I just had a friend a couple of weeks ago who was preparing to travel and there was something very anxiety triggering to her about even just packing. And she did do that. She was like, I, she kind of explained how very panicky she was feeling as she was packing and preparing and getting every, she and her husband were leaving kids behind to be with grandparents while they traveled. And she explained all of it. And I was the one that was like, I don't, that's not a normal level of worry, I don't think. And, and do you think it's time to maybe check in with your doctor about it? And so she did, she got some help and got all settled down and was able to go then and enjoy this trip that she'd been looking forward to instead of having that dark cloud of anxiety hang over the trip the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do. I think it's very stigmatized. And I think here's another aspect of it too. We can, this kind of ties into what we were going to talk about later in terms of supporting somebody who's dealing with this, but when you're having a mental health issue, whether it's ongoing or if it's sort of like in a crisis moment, sometimes it is just too overwhelming to even know where to start. And you need somebody who can kind of like literally maybe come and hold your hand while you make a phone call um, or help you to do the research of who do, you know, who's, who's good to talk to in our community. Mm -hmm. Let's talk through our choices and let's make a phone call kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that there, I think that that's a very good delineation that when it is affecting your life, the quality of your life your home life, your work life, or just you as a person experiencing life, um, 
it's it's totally okay. Call call your healthcare provider who start with whoever you trust, whatever their sort of, you know, degree or letters behind their name was or whatever. A person that you trust who is in a position to be able to speak to this with authority, whether it's a medical doctor, a therapist, maybe you see, maybe you have seen a midwife for years and she knows your health history intimately, start there and let them help you kind of get going in the process. And I I think that um, if you are just now thinking maybe this is something you need to actually deal with versus something that you have been stuffing down forever and are just going to continue to kind of white knuckle it through this season, maybe you do start with, um, with some things you might find online. Meditation has been huge for me. I use the Headspace app as a way um, to clear my head and it really works best when you do it every day or at least several times a week regularly. You know, maybe start with some of the supplements that we talked about on episode 26 or that you can often find spoken about a little bit online, some of the more natural things. I'm all for those, what I consider to be kind of baby steps of Mm -hmm. coping with it. Mm -hmm. But I really want to emphasize that sometimes you cannot essential oil your way out of this. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that is why you need to talk to your friends or whoever is in your life that you talk to, to kind of gauge where you are. And the next step is a true professional. And a professional is a doctor or a therapist or someone who can really help you. Now, I'm all about um, loved one support and it takes a village and everything like that. I think that's a really important (laughs) <laughs> a really very important part of any kind of mental health issue. But a professional not only knows a lot more than you do about what's going on in the brain and body, but is also a little bit removed from any other emotional entanglements. Sure, absolutely. So a medical professional, in my experience, is less likely to say, well... You just have little kids and this is a rough time and too bad, so sad, <laughs> whatever. Right. Or, like they're, they're able to look at it without thinking, well, you're always like this, fine, <laughs> or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good distinction. And I think a, a lot of times for women, when we confide in our husbands um, or partners in some way, they maybe feel like it's on them to fix it. Mm. And it may be that things have escalated beyond what they can fix. And that's okay. It's not their responsibility to fix things, but that can be the first impulse instead of, wow, this sounds really serious. Let's get you into your healthcare provider and see what's going on. They feel like you're confiding in me because you're you're saying I need your help to fix this thing. So there, it can be difficult in that sense. I want to tell you when I decided to finally call a therapist, I had little children. My daughter was three and a half and my son was one and a half. And I was having a really hard time. And I had convinced myself it was just because having a one-year-old and a three-year-old is hard which it is, obviously. My son had sleeping problems. I was extremely sleep deprived. I, as an introvert, 
was mentally exhausted with being at home with little children, just having someone in my space all the time and being sleep deprived. All of the things, it was a bad storm being someone who's predisposed to anxiety anyway. But the moment that I was like, I have to get help, I'll never forget it in my life. We were having a family day. We'd gone to the park here in Los Angeles. It was a beautiful sunny day. My kids had on cute outfits. Everyone was having fun. We played at the park. We got some ice cream. We got on the merry-go-round as a family. My beautiful family. My husband was in a good mood. The kids were giggling at the merry-go-round. And as we spun around on that thing, I was so deeply sad. Mm, Yeah. And I was like, this is supposed to be a beautiful moment. Objectively, this is a beautiful moment. And I am so sad. And I couldn't stop crying. Mm. And that is when I had the wake-up call of, Laura, this is not normal. Yeah. Even for little kids stage, even for being sleep deprived, you are not in a good way. Mm -hmm. And I literally called a therapist the next day. And that started my journey of getting sort of back to myself, of getting a handle on understanding some of the symptoms I'd had my whole life that weren't even related to early motherhood. But that is what really started me being like, oh, I can, I don't have to live like this. I think that that is the moment when you do come to yourself and realize, I don't have to live like this. And that is the moment when, for a lot of people, they actually, they push through whatever resistance they were feeling towards getting help. And they make that phone call. They they go to that office, visit, whatever it looks like. And... Yeah, start on the path of, of learning how to get through to cope mm-hmm. and to heal from it in some cases. So, yeah. All right. So, Laura, as you've mentioned, a lot of your beginning part of your struggle with anxiety began in childhood. And we've kind of talked about I have a child who uh, has some pretty significant anxiety issues, too. So we've seen it from both ends. Let's talk a little bit about what we can do to be helpful for children struggling with anxiety. Well, I hesitate to talk too much about this because I do think that you should really talk to your pediatrician or whatever health professional if you're really worried about your children. But I do have a couple things that I would say. One is it was hugely helpful to me that my parents believed me. I never had to convince them that I was having a struggle. Mm -hmm. They were in tune enough with me to realize that I wasn't being bratty or... um, acting out, they could tell I was having some real issues and they accommodated as much as they could without totally disrupting our family, but they accommodated a lot of my food things and clothing things. And they gave me lots of space to be by myself, which is something I required. Another thing that was very helpful to me, and someone brought this up in the hangout group and she typed it more eloquently than I could have, but she was talking about her anxious child and how it gave her child all the information ahead of time. So before they left on a day trip to go, we're going to do these errands and we're going to do this kind of dinner and blah, blah, blah. Now, you can't always give your child every piece of information. And as the day shifts and you might just tell them, but just keeping them in the loop for me 
would have been a huge thing because as a child, I felt like I was just a character in the world's video game. Mm. That was very stressful to me to have no control over what we were doing. Not that I wanted to exert control. It was just I didn't even know the information. Like, I didn't know what we were doing or where we were going or who was going to be there. Was it going to be loud and crazy or was I going to get some quiet time? Like, I just needed to kind of know how to set myself up emotionally for the day. And then I could do it, actually. I could work within myself. Again, this is just me. I still require this as an adult. I literally do. Like, I will set up what the weekend is going to look like with my husband. Like, I'll be like, this is what we have planned for the weekend. This is what I need out of the weekend. And if we get thrown a real curveball, which occasionally happens, I need a minute. Yes. Still to this day to, like, adjust. And I think that our kids, we just yank them around everywhere. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we need to do this, and we got to stop by and do this, and then we're going to this thing. And we don't bother to explain to them. And with an anxious child, I feel like an abundance of information as much as you can give is very, very helpful. So I know that's only a small thing and that stuff with our kids can be very big and hard and complicated. So please, please seek out other helpful resources. But I just wanted to say that about my own childhood. Believe your kids and help them out with information. Definitely agree. And I wanted to suggest a resource too that has been very helpful for us. You know, we were talking about there is definitely a difference between worry and anxiety, but for kids, because of the vocabulary they have to work with, a lot of times what they're expressing will come out about, I'm worried. Um, But if you feel like it's an excessive amount, a very worrisome child, one resource that we have found to be very helpful for us is a workbook by a clinical psychologist who specializes in treating kids Um, Her name's Dr. Dawn Huebner, and her book is What to Do When You Worry Too Much, and it's kind of a kid's guide. I think the subtitle is like A Child's Guide to Dealing with Anxiety. And it's a workbook for children and parents to work through that gives kids practical strategies, and that was one of the very things they talked about, Laura, was the whole, you know, go through all of the details, kind of help them understand and get an idea for what they're anticipating. There are a ton of very good practical strategies. Kids are such concrete learners that I highly recommend that book, What to Do When You Worry Too Much, especially for like the 12 and under crowd. It's great for kids to start to learn some of those management techniques that they can use at home and more importantly, outside of the house. So lastly, before we wrap up talking about anxiety, um, a lot of people wanted to know, how can I support a spouse or a friend who is dealing with anxiety? And it can be so hard. And I know that I myself did not understand truly what it felt like to deal with anxiety until I began experiencing it myself. So this is a great question. And we've talked about some things, Laura, that we think could be helpful. Well, for me, just telling my spouse how I felt, I cannot believe how effective that was for me internally. I spent a good chunk of my dating life and early marriage kind of trying to hide some of my crazy from Mm -hmm. my husband. And I use the term crazy loosely, of course, but like, I tried to hide when I was having a hard time because I didn't want him to think I was weak or nuts or anything. When I got to a place where I started actually telling him, it really opened up our marriage, actually. For him to be like, how can I help you? I believe you. I can see it with my eyes that you're having a hard time. I wish you had talked to me about it sooner. Sometimes I think if you're going the other way, if you're the female and you have maybe a male partner, 
sometimes they might not be as good at recognizing their own triggers. So maybe you can do the helpful work of being like, let's try and recognize when you're the most uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Is it when you are sleep deprived? Is it when we've had too much going on and we need to relax some more? Is it when you're not getting enough exercise? I don't even know what. But I feel like sometimes as a completely gross generalization, men don't always want to like do the analysis. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You know, it's just maybe not the way that they work of putting together the clues where I think sometimes as a generalization, women are good at that. So maybe you can help a spouse in that way of being like, let's try to figure out some patterns here and then try to work around those, you know, fix it so that you don't get yourself in a bad way. Yeah. I mean, that's been a big thing for, for Kyle and I, I think you're so right that men sometimes, um, again, for their own reasons, different from women, um, don't want to address or confront some of these things. That was a huge help for me when Kyle was like, um, he noticed because again, like you said, with you and chef, like they can see what's happening. We think we're hiding it. We think we're managing it, but the people that live with us see it most clearly. Mm -hmm. And so when Kyle and I finally began to talk and I did, I felt so vulnerable explaining to him what was going on, what it felt like physically. But once we were on the same page about it, he was like, he is, often says your expectations are very unrealistic and you're going to he says stress out about it but it truly is when anxiety really tends tends to manifest so when he sees me kind of careening down that path be like let's have a serious talk about expectations right now (laughs) so that's really helpful but i think that going back to what you said about just believing them and then asking maybe when they're in a good place what's helpful for some people Um, maybe you're thinking of a friend who has anxiety problems for some people, a check-in, like I tend to go really radio silent when I'm really struggling with anxiety. So if a close friend checks in, texts and says, you doing okay? I haven't heard from you. That's fine. But it, but then if I were to get a whole bunch of people checking in or, you know, if I felt again, a lot of it is expectations. If I felt like I needed to reply back to, you know, people checking in on me or whatever, that would make it worse for me. And so being really specific in our, in, in what we find to be helpful. And and if you're on the other end, if you're helping support someone, asking them specifically, would would it be more helpful for this or this and kind of have a conversation about it Mm -hmm. can be so huge. Yeah. I just cannot say enough how use people in your life as a resource. That's how I found my therapist. I asked an acquaintance. This was actually not even a person I knew. She was a person that was in my like mommy and me music class. I said, I am struggling. And I happened to know she was a therapist. We were total acquaintances, but I said, I know you're a therapist. I can't see you. Who would you see? Oh, that's good. And she sent me a list of three people and I called the first one. So like, you can use people around you as a resource. If, like, And friendship-wise, if you're a friend wanting to offer help, you can say, would it be helpful for me to take your children for an afternoon so you can get some sleep? Mm-hmm. Or is that more stressful and it would be more helpful for me to just bring dinner over to your family and drop it off and no talking required? Yes. It's such an individual experience. And it really, I think the best way to support is to just have the conversation with people. Definitely. Yes. Well, we wanted to make sure to cover another part of mental health and wellness, and that is by addressing briefly depression. And I love what Dr. Margaret has to say about a specific manifestation of depression that she calls perfectly hidden depression. And I sat down to talk with her 
I can't wait for you all to hear what she has to say because I think this is going to resonate with a lot of our awesomes. Dr. Margaret, welcome back to Sorta Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk about perfectly hidden depression with us today. Oh, I'm so delighted, Meg. This is, I'm passionate about this topic and have been writing about it for almost three years now. And so I'm delighted to be here and I will wax eloquent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just start at the very beginning then. Let's start at the top, perfectly hidden depression. How, in what ways is this different from regular depression? And then let's kind of go from there and talk about like, what does this actually look like lived out? Sure. First and foremost, it's important for people to know that perfectly hidden depression is not anything you're going to find in a diagnostic manual. It is a term that I came up with, uh, again, about two and a half, three years ago, to describe what I considered what is a syndrome, meaning and a syndrome is simply a group of behaviors that are found together, like codependence is a syndrome. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So uh, I came up with the term perfectly hidden depression to describe a presentation of depression that didn't look anything like what all of us see on the commercials for a medica- depressive medications or hospitals or something. It does not look like the person who's sitting on the bathroom floor and doesn't doesn't have any energy to walk the dog. Okay, yeah. It looks instead very much like someone who is very successful, very engaged with the community, lots of energy, lots of friends. Um, you saw her in the grocery store two weeks ago and she looked fantastic and she said how well her life is going. But underneath all of that, there is a lot of depression that either intentionally or unintentionally, unconsciously is being hidden. Okay. These often have the same symptoms underneath their presentation or their persona that depressed people or classically depressed people do. They can have, uh, they can feel hopeless. They can be exhausted. They can be anxious. They can be um, worried. They can, they can have suicidal ideation, maybe even a plan, but you would never know it by looking at them. Okay, that's such an important distinction to make, because I think you're so right. A lot of times, either because of cultural influence, or even having a person in your family or your friend circle who has that classic presentation that you're talking about, I think we kind of get an idea in our mind that when you're depressed, it looks like this. But if you have everything together, if you're keeping it all together, if you know people see you as successful, as having a rich, fulfilling life, then surely you can't be depressed because you don't look like this picture of depression. Right, exactly. And that only adds to the shame. You know, I do have all these blessings in my life. In fact, sometimes someone will come on my, they'll sit on my couch and say, I don't even know why I'm here. This blessing, that blessing, all that kind of thing. And yet, you know, tears might come to her or his eyes and say, but I just don't feel right. I know something's wrong. Now, I want to make a quick point. We all go through times when we have the blues or when we want to hide or when, Things have gotten overwhelming, and some people have written in and saying, how is this any different than just someone who just doesn't want to talk about, you know, that they're struggling, that it's a privacy issue? I get that. There, there, there are many people who just aren't going to air their dirty laundry in public, and sure. when they feel bad, they're going to keep it to themselves. But this is a distinct chronic pattern 
these people couldn't feel sad if their life depended on it. Okay. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know how to access. They have forgotten how to access that pain if they ever were allowed to in the first place. So this is not a, gosh, I've just got something going on that I'm going to keep uh, confidential to myself. I don't want to share it. This is a lifelong, perhaps, or certainly years-long pattern of behavior. Wow, that is a very good distinction to make because certainly there are people who just feel like, listen, everything looks like it's together on the outside, but I'm struggling with this privately. But yeah, you're saying that they're actually, this is something that would be measured over time. And what I did, I came up with, I'm, I'm still learning and growing. I've interviewed about... 40 people, there have been hundreds of people who've contacted me and said, you know, I want to help. I just don't have the time to interview everyone. So um, I've interviewed 40 people, and in so doing, I kind of came up with a questionnaire that people can take. It's on my website if anybody wants to to go take it, um, of 25 questions that um, you can self-identify as something, as maybe you experience this. Um, but I've, I've, I've got the 10 kind of factors, again, the, the group of behaviors or the attitudes or belief systems that tend to look like perfectly hidden depression. Okay. Um, those 10 are being, being very perfectionistic with a constant critical voice in your head saying you're not good enough, you haven't done enough, a very heightened or excessive sense of responsibility, you're very task-oriented, you're the kind of person who always has her hand up saying, I'll do it, I'll do it, Yes. right? Uh, difficulty with accepting and expressing painful emotions. Again, that sort of non-access. Uh, these people look very happy and they're smiling, but if you if you get them to say, uh, "Well, yeah, I'm a little tired," they'll kind of smile and go, "But you know, I've been tired before." They okay. they discount their pain. Okay. There's the fourth one is a worry or need for control over herself and her environment, meaning if I'm on a committee, I'm going to chair the committee. You know, you worry about it. You, you're very, uh, very, you'd rather be in control than not. A very intense focus on tasks, using accomplishment as a way to feel valuable. That's pretty self-descriptive. There's a very active and sincere caring about other people and well and caring about the well-being of others, but it's coupled with that no one knows too much about you. You don't, you keep a lot of that to yourself. It's not give and take. You tend to give to others, but don't ask for anything back. Interesting. Okay. The seventh one is uh, similar to one above, trouble with acknowledging hurt or abuse from the past or the present. They'll say things like, well, Yes, maybe I was uh, fondled as a child for sexual abuse, but, you know, it just happened once. Or, yeah, my dad was an alcoholic, but, you know, I saw a lot worse. That kind of thing. They discount uh, things that have happened to them. They're accompanying mental health. This is number eight. They're accompanying mental health issues including control or escape from anxiety. And what that means is they're, they're likely to maybe have an eating disorder. They're likely to have anxiety. They may even be likely to have substance abuse issues because they're trying to get away from some of that uh, repression of pain. Number nine is a strong belief in counting your blessings uh, as the foundation of well-being, meaning I, I'll do that and then I feel ashamed uh, if... Yes not counting my blessings. Mm -hmm. uh, 
actually a lot of very spiritual or church going people tell me that this is a very is a stumbling for them because their faith should have taken away their depression. Their blessing should have taken away their depression. Number 10 is that usually these people are very professionally successful, again, being very task-oriented. They do well being perfectionistic, but their intimate relationships may be more difficult because they may have attracted someone who doesn't also like to talk about painful Uh, emotions or really buys into them being an over-functioning person. So sometimes their relationships, their intimate relationships can be difficult. Okay. So that's it. Yeah, that's, that is a very comprehensive list. And as you said, this is actually on your blog. So if you're listening right now and you're thinking, gosh, this is sounding really familiar and you want to check out more, just please know that we will put this into the show notes so you can kind of go and look through these again. So Dr. Margaret, if somebody is looking through these 10 characteristics and they're thinking, this is, I'm checking a lot of these boxes, what would be the next steps for that person? Well, one of the things that I think is very accessible to do is obviously to confront that need to stay so very private. I ask a lot of my patients to think of just one person in their life. It doesn't have to be a therapist, but one person in their life who their gut tells them, you know, if I told them that I'm not all of what I seem, that they would be understanding. And there is something in the telling of that. In fact, I had a guy just yesterday who is very much like this, tell me that he's been in therapy maybe three or four months, and he said, I don't know what's happening, but I called someone that has been my high school friend for a long time, and I found myself talking to her, and he said, I, it felt great. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's in that trusting someone else with what you, you were taught as a child was wrong to do, or you were punished as a child for expressing sadness or anger, Um, and it is in challenging that belief that you're still, you're still supposed to do that. That's very helpful. Um, really when you, when you boil it down, um, I love this quote from Andrew Solomon. He's talking about classic depression and he says the opposite of depression isn't happiness. It's vitality. Oh, that's good. Yes. Depression. I believe that in perfectly hidden depression, the problem is is not again happiness it's self acceptance mm. people who have perfectly hidden depression cannot accept that there're parts of them that maybe they've made mistakes or maybe they have something in their history that they're ashamed of or they just struggle so with letting themselves be human mm, right <laughs> yes human Another huge difference with classic depression or the treatment of classic depression is that you're trying to get really depressed people, people who are, or actually depression is a fairly self-centered illness as a disease. It just causes you to be that way. You're trying to get them to engage out outwardly, mm-hmm. connected with other people to get connected with their world again. You're trying to get their energy to go out. With someone with perfectly hidden depression, you're actually wanting the opposite. You're wanting them to engage in their internal world and to be able to start being able to identify what is wrong, what pain do they have, what irrationalities do they have in their thinking so that they can begin to work through those emotions. 
That makes so much sense because it sounds like these are people who have said yes to a lot of things, have stacked their schedules so full so that they don't really even have any downtime to do any inner work. So I can see how that would be a huge switch for them to like actually sit still and be with themselves and, and do the internal work there. So, yeah. The interesting thing, Megan, too, is that of these people that I've interviewed, I would say probably a third of them had actually sought therapy and initially. They realized they were suicidal. Maybe they even tried to attempt suicide, and they went for help. But, of course, they don't tell the whole story. Ah, yes. Or they may even say, well, I feel, you know, I'm wondering if I'm depressed. And the therapist will say, no, you don't fit criteria for depression. The mental health field is very stagnant or very uh, rigid about how we define somebody with depression. And these people have been told all you are is tired, all you are is anxious, you're overworked, um, you just need to go home and rest. And it's totally missed. Now, of course, that's not all the mental health practitioners fault because they're not saying, you know, this morning I thought about running off the road. But if, if, if mental health practitioners understood that they need to be looking for that, right. Uh, often a clue to me is when someone's facial expressions don't fit to the actual content of what they're saying. Someone will smile. I, in fact, this happened. This very thing happened. A lady said, yes, I was raped the week before I went to college. And you can see my face, but you can see I'm smiling. Mm-hmm. She didn't even look sad mm. and, or worried. Or, or And I looked at her and I said, why are you smiling? And she said, well, that was a long time ago. And, you know, I, I really don't think it's very important now. And I said, well, it is important now. Right. So yeah. I had I've only listened, if I had paid attention to the way she looked, I might have gone, oh, well, you know, it was a long time ago. (laughs) I might have fought in with her. Right. You have to listen very carefully to what someone is saying, not how they're saying it. And so for somebody who's kind of trying to work through this, I know you said maybe opening up to a trusted friend is good. Is it something that people maybe even want to take the next step and connect with a therapist, a counselor, somebody to help them with that inner work? Because it seems like they may not even have this this sort of the cognitive scaffolding or the like the knowledge of how to do some of the work to um, begin to recover from this. No, I obviously going to a therapist um, is going to be a good therapist is going to be very helpful. And I've had people tell me they took in my posts. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Please read these because I'm going to try to fool you Mm. (laughs) because it's my habit to try to not not in a malicious way, but I'm so uncomfortable with letting you know what I really think or feel that I won't go as far as I need to go, please push me, Mm. please guide me. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's helpful. Um, The only book I've ever read on this exact thing, and it was only for men, was a book called I Don't Want to Talk About It by Terrence Reel, and that was written back in 1997. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Now, Brene Brown has written some wonderful books. Yes. uh, Gifts of Imperfection and Daring Greatly. And she is talking about uh, how perfectionism can cause many, many problems in your life. To my knowledge, she doesn't go so far as to say it's depression. 
or there could be depression underneath. Mm -hmm. Uh, I read her books and I didn't find that, you know, maybe it is there and I just haven't seen it, but her books are a wonderful place to start for someone with, uh, who identifies with perfectly hidden depression. Okay. And I'm going to write. I'm writing a book right now. Well, so. thank goodness. I'm so well, glad that you, you are. I, I just yeah. know as I'm listening to you, I just know this is going to resonate with so many of our listeners, something that they've encountered within themselves, or maybe they have dear friends or family members that they are, you know, their, their ears are perking up because this is just sounding so familiar for them. So like I said, we will link to the uh, blog post on your blog, drmargaretherford.com. And then also I know you've written about this at The Mighty, so we will put a link to that. And then I know you've covered this on your own podcast, which is called Self Work with Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I think you said you have two episodes where you discuss this. Episode three and four. Um, One is, the first one is what it is. And then the second one, because I'm a therapist that focuses on solutions, is what you you can do about it. So there's some definite uh, tips on how to begin to confront it and work through it yourself. Okay. Well, on behalf of the awesome community, I just want to tell you, thank you again so much for your time and for just bringing this to our attention. I know that so many people are going to be so grateful to have this information in their lives. So thank you again. Oh, thank you, Megan and Laura. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Okay, Laura, we've covered a lot of ground here today. And I know there's so many important conversations to be had about anxiety. I know people are going to want to follow up with us. So we will be around definitely in the Hangout group to kind of talk through some of the things we've talked about on the show. We would love to hear more about your response to um, to our, our thoughts on anxiety. So Laura, remind us where we can find you on social media and all around the web. You can find me always at lauratremaine.com, and that is also where you can sign up for my secret posts. Those are emails that go out once or twice a month with all my personal recommendations on what to read, where, watch. Um, I'm also on Twitter at lauratremaine and on Instagram at lara.tremaine. Come find me there. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. You can find the show on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. We're on Twitter at Sorta Awesome Pod. You can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash Sorta Awesome. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see y'all next time. Sorta Awesome was created by me, Megan Teets, and is produced each week in collaboration with Kelly Gordon, Rebecca Hoffer, and Laura Tremaine. Visit us on the web at SortaAwesomeShow.com where you can sign up for the show's newsletter, connect with the Sorta Awesome community, and find show notes for each episode of Sorta Awesome. Music is provided by the band Prager. Find out more at PragerMusic.com. We'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life Sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.